0: How do I structure my one-on-ones and their one-on-ones and our team meetings in a way that are the most useful for the team and that we all feel that we're getting the right level of information, but not overburdening? And you know, the way that I've done it is I've got one-on-ones every week, and then we have a broader manager meeting with the entire management team, which is seven, I believe, and that is once a week for an hour, and that's really like our sync time as a as a manager team.
1: That's Brian castagna CISO at Seven Bridges, which is a genomics company. I invited Brian down to the ranch to discuss his strategies and tactics around work from home. He's got a great joking story he tells, outlining the phases of his work from home journey. And he also chats with me about practical physics. How do you hire remotely and keep a newly formed remote team engaged? How do you accommodate lifestyle differences in employees? How do you establish healthy boundaries between work and life? We talk about all of these questions and more. And thank you, Brian, for coming on down to the ranch.
0: Alan, thank you for having me. This is my first time on any ranch, and I feel like right now, you know, exiting the pandemic, a cyber ranch is the place that I should go first.
2: Welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford.
1: All right, so why don't we get started briefly. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background in cyber and tell us a little bit about your day job. Yeah, absolutely. So my background in cyber, I was actually
0: an auditor, don't tell anyone, for the first eight years of my career, <laughs> and uh, went around pre-cloud, pre-tech boom, and did a number of different technology audits at what were you know startups at the time. And uh, second half of my career, i have been scaling up security programs at venture-backed tech companies. And uh, you know my my specialty is are really on the compliance side and the regulatory side, and uh, I love doing it. I love building teams. I love making uh, companies and customers successful. And I'm excited to to be here to to share with you my my journey on remote work. I
1: love it, man. So, so you wrote a story for us. Speaking of remote work, you wrote a, a bit of a story called "The Remote Work Environment: The Journey," and I think it's a great segue into our conversation about remote work in general, but also about securing the remote workforce. So, tell us briefly: what is your current remote work situation? Is your team fully remote? Have you hired remotely since the organization scattered? What are some strategies there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we are uh, fully remote. Um, we've, you know, our company has now a hybrid operating model where. You can be remote in a country that we operate, um, or you can be in the office. Most of my team is remote, and uh, you know um, the majority of them are in Belgrade, Serbia, in Eastern Europe, and uh, then I have folks in the U.S. as well.
1: Right on. So some of these folks you hired, and some of these folks were already there. So what are the strategies to overcome the challenges in hiring remotely? It's a great question. So when the pandemic first hit, I was at
0: RSA conference. And, uh, people were starting to get, uh, a little bit antsy with the news about there's one case in San Francisco. There's two cases in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, over the course of the next couple of weeks, we all know what happened. Um, we had a number of candidates that were in process. Um, you know, some that we met in interviews and some that we didn't, but we ended up hiring, uh, seven people within the first six months of the pandemic and it was different. It was a challenge. I think that. We were able to overcome it a number of different ways and still make really good hires. We emphasized a little bit more on the resume, a little bit more from the companies that they were coming from and the skill sets that they had. And we had to overcompensate for not seeing them in person, right? And I think we've all seen and learned that it is it is easier to see people in 3D, to talk to them, to see those facial expressions. You know, we're, we're missing that now. Yeah. But we compensated for it a number of ways and made made some really good hires remotely. So, so what
1: are some of these ways that you compensate? Walk me through some of the, some of the physics.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so, uh, for example, we hired, uh, a couple folks in compliance and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a bunch of different resumes that will come in and a bunch of different skill sets. We selected, uh, two people that were in public accounting, um, that had, you know, very good backgrounds and very sort of specific in what we were looking for and had the mm-hmm. right level years of experience. So. I usually like to hire uh, a little bit junior sometimes and give people the opportunity to either grow into a role or for there to be a a promotion path there. Mm -hmm. So we found the right skill sets of the right people and, um, you know, sort of narrowing down the focus based upon their prior experience and prior company was sort of one strategy that we did.
1: I'm guessing... That's got its own set of challenges with, uh, you know, everybody's always talking about the shortage in cyber. And I know there's a lot of debate. There's uh, been some really good podcasts of late about whether or not there really is a shortage. But if you're honing in on more specific detail, if you're really trying to capture the exact right resume, doesn't that slow down the process? Aren't you having trouble finding candidates? Yeah, it's a great question. And we've
0: relied on our our recruiting department, right? And I think recruiting departments around the globe, they've had a similar challenge, right? Not just for hiring managers and sort of sorting through without seeing people in person. So, uh, you know, I think that's that's part of it. I mean, I think the other thing is that we've focused on areas and regions where there's a talent pool. And, you know, there's different talent pools in different places, you know, in, in Eastern Europe where, where we've done a lot of our hiring, um, there's a lot of really talented security engineers, a lot of really talented pen testers. So we've thought about that from that perspective. Um, you know, we've looked on the West Coast, we've looked in Boston a, as well, mm-hmm. um, where I'm based, and uh, you know, focusing on geographic region is is another part of it in a in a in a boundaryless world, right? But right. the talent still is going to be in certain pockets.
1: That makes a lot of good sense if you're if you're. Uh... Open to that true remote doesn't matter where you are on planet Earth phenomenon. You really open the doors to a lot of valuable candidates. I, I agree with that one for sure. So let, let's let's revisit this this story. Remote work environment. The journey. Uh, you kind of had a, a four phase journey, and you already mentioned the the evacuation after RSA and kind of everybody panicking. Yep. What what came next? You had some really funny uh, bullets in this story. Yeah, yeah.
0: Me. So you know, like most of us, it's like March twenty twenty, and we're like. Oh my God! Like, is is this real? Like, what's happening? And most people that sort of are are in my network that I've worked with that are you know at say VC back tech companies, the adjustment was pretty seamless relative to the way that could have been. I know for larger companies there was VPN issues and other things, but we adjusted over the first couple months. Um, you know, our team and our company uh, fully operated remotely, and things went smooth. You know the. The, uh, the challenge point was, okay, we have this roadmap. Can we still do it? Can we still hit it? And, you know, over the course of the next three, six months, we did. It wasn't always easy at times, you know, and there was lots of different challenges along the way that we'll get into from different people based upon your situation, but we did it right. And fast forward and it's like December and we're like, oh my God, we're still here. (laughs) You know, we're, we're still remote. And I'm, I'm looking around. I'm like, okay, like um, I'm I'm, here, like my back hurts. I've been in this one space for a long time. I wasn't really planning to be here for, you know, six, nine months, but I'm here. And at that point, I'm like, well, you know what? I guess it's time to get some different furniture. So went out and, and redid the room. I threw on a coat of paint, got a new rug, upgraded my desk, and came to the conclusion that at a minimum, we're going to be like this for a while. Um, but really knowing that, you know, hybrid work is here to stay and that's okay. And, and having a space that's conducive to it where you're not sitting there on a, on a dining room chair, like I
1: was is important. Right. Okay. So then you get used to it. You've got your new remote office, you got your stuff and what happens? Flash forward another six, 10 months.
0: So, you know, we're, uh, we're ending it next spring, next summer, you know, this year, and uh, I'm like, oh, my God, I miss people. I, I miss <laughs> humans. I miss human beings. <laughs> like, where where are the humans? I'm, I've i been here. I'm in the room. I mean, that's what my wife and I call it. They're like, oh, you're still in the room. I'm sure many of you have experienced this. There's almost like a tunnel vision that sets in where it's mm-hmm. like, well, I, I haven't left my house or my property, you know, in X number of days or for people on my team. You know, a lot of folks in who live in Belgrade are in you know, apartment situations or condo situations where it's, you know, they're in a building and it's like, well, I I haven't left that either. You know, one guy on my team, I'm like, Hey, when's the last time you left? He's like, Oh, about 10 days ago. So coming to sort of that realization, it, it helped me sort of catalyze that for me personally, like I can't be in the room forever. I I need humans again. And, you know, I've started going back to our office in a safe manner, in a manner that, that works for me. And, uh, you know, understanding that the, I don't think the future is all of us on computer screens all the time. I don't think it can be.
1: I'm I'm with you there. So, all right, there's a couple of little twists I want to get into there because you kind of started touching on the human side and I want to tap that for sure. You know, it's been it's been a weird journey for me, too. And the room, as you call it, is, you know, the office for me. And to your point, the dog comes in. Early in the morning, my wife comes in. She works in healthcare and she's essential, so she's always out the door. So I see her briefly in the mornings, briefly in the evenings. You know, the dog is, is there all day and that's it. That's my contact. And I'll go days with the only time I exit the house is just to pick kiddo up from school, you know. So I'm, I'm right there with you. And that, and that brings me to my question because it's really, it's a human story. We all have a different human situation, right? I spend great amounts of time in the evening trying to unplug, trying to shut the door to the office, trying to keep it at bay staying off my phone and not doing work emails, so I can spend quality time with Kiddo, with my wife, with the dogs, you know, all that good stuff. And that's my story. I have an office. I have the luxury of a, of a room with a door that shuts in a relatively large house where even if my wife's home, she could be in another room working. And I've got the pressures of family. Uh, some folks don't have that. So, how has it been, you know, have you really considered all this as you've managed your team? Because you've got maybe a 23-year-old living in an apartment who's all by himself. You've got a 40-year-old with a wife and kids. Maybe some people have that space in their home. Maybe some don't. You know, what's, what's the human side of the physics and how have you accommodated that?
0: Yeah, it, it's a great question. And, you know, I'll start by saying my management philosophy, leadership philosophy is really focused on empathy and understanding, you know, the people that I work with, understand the people on my teams, because everyone's different. Everyone's situation's different. Everyone's skill sets are different, you know, some strengths, some weaknesses. So understanding, you know, the, the people that you, you work with and understanding their situations is, is just critically important. And I feel like being a leader that's exacerbated in, in, in a world where it's a pandemic, right? And you need to be even more in tune or more empathetic to what's, what's going on with your teams. If you have managers on your teams that they're working with their teams and figuring out how do you be flexible? How do you understand what people are going through? And, you know, for my particular situation, I've got little kids. They've at times become part of the, the zoom show <laughs> coming in and daddy, right. I need this or daddy, right. you know, this is going on, you know, other people on my team, they, they might live alone um, or, you know, they might um, have other situations where they have family with them. Um, so I think about that. I account for that. I try to be very deliberate in in one-on-one conversations that I have with my team about understanding their, their pain points and being supportive. And that's super, super important. It's
1: vital. My last company, I had a guy, he was in India and he had, uh, this was a fellow on my team, he had other family members come and stay with them during COVID because the, you know, the family members that were worried about catching it in the area they were in, let's go stay in an area where it's not so prevalent. And so everybody's all packed together in the same house. And not only did this employee have his own little kids, but his relatives had their own little kids. Yep. And to your point, he couldn't do a Zoom call without hooting and hollering in the background, without screaming and running, without kids jumping in his lap randomly. And You know, at at first I got a little resentful, like, dude, we're trying to work here. And I realized, you know, from his perspective, I I put his hat on and and I realized like this is not this is not the right attitude. He's trying to live a life (laughs) and work is to a certain extent intruding on that right now versus his life is intruding on work. Right. What I've
0: really come to realize is it's helped to sort of humanize all the relationships that we have. I mean, Mm -hmm. before with coworkers, you know, yeah, you might go out for a drink or something afterwards or build a relationship. But, you know, that is how you got to know them personally. Now you you are sort of in their personal life almost at times, which can be is, is different is challenging. But, yeah. you know, but you can also understand people better. Right. And I feel like it's helped me become a better manager and it's helped the team gel better and work together better because they do get to know each other more on a personal yeah. level.
1: That's not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, like my dog, for example, uh, he's a barker. And pretty much everyone in the company knows my dog at this point. <laughs> um, but everybody knows his bark, and everyone's like, "Oh, there goes!" He's even got a nickname now. They call him Radar because he's he's always casting his radar out looking for the bad guys, and that's why he's barking. He's always at the front door. Uh, one of the guys on my team uh, that I work with regularly, I know his cat now, and I'm like, "Hey, where's the cat?" You know. Yep. So I I, I think there's I think there's some some legitimate bonding opportunity in that uh, whether we wanted to or not, our personal lives are spilling into that camera to some degree. Right. And, and I think that's okay. I think, I think it was awkward at first, you know, especially when like, you know, when everybody started with COVID, there were the people that, you know, were sitting right in front of their unmade bed and, you know, it's like, it's a little too personal. Um, but I think as we've evolved and gotten into that, I, I think that personal touch is actually part of what's keeping us sane and saving us from the fact that to your point earlier, I miss humans. I think that's a key piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's pause right there, real quick, for a brief word from our sponsor.
2: You're in charge of cybersecurity at your company, but do you really know what's going on with your security controls? And are they actually working to keep you safe? The problem is when controls fail, they fail silently. That's why you need Attack IQ, the automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses. Better insights, Better decisions, real security outcomes. That's Attack IQ. Check them out by visiting attackiq.com. And thank you, Attack IQ, for sponsoring this episode.
1: So you've got the room. I've got the office. I assume the room has a door that shuts, um, but I assume that, like me, you've got a smartphone in your pocket that's wired into work chat, work email, work everything else. So what are some strategies you've come up with to set healthy boundaries and sort of defining, you know, work is done now, personal life begins, you know, this is the time of day or the handoff or the whatever. What are your strategies for keeping the work from just spilling into all aspects of the home life now now that it is in the home? You have to be deliberate with it is what I've found because, you know,
0: uh, people, people might think, oh, you're working from home, like you're, you're not working, right? That's always the, that was always like the past assumption about work from home. Right, And now that I'm living it, it's like, well, actually, like, I don't really break for lunch, right. you know, um, or I'll bring my lunch back in the room and I'll eat it there. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the, the time that you might've had in an office where someone comes and, and chats you up for a little bit, or you take a water cooler break, or you do different things has now just been replaced by work in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So find that especially for lunch, um if the weather's good outside and i can go outside and have lunch even if it's a 15 minute break or a 20 minute break that's a good healthy thing to do it's given me opportunities uh to go on a walk with my wife at times right. and to take that break you know so i mean those are those are some strategies that i've sort of kind of had to force into my schedule maybe with yeah. a, a calendar entry which is a good way to do it and the other perspective of it is i feel like i am very productive still at home, but I'm I'm better rested, you know. Mm. And in my life, for the first you know fifteen, seventeen years of my career, I was either traveling and flying fifty, sixty percent, or I was commuting into Boston. Mm-hmm. And like to commute into Boston, you're like you know it's like oh well if I leave at five a.m. I'm good, I can get there right. in thirty five minutes. If I leave at five twenty, oh that's an hour. Sorry, like right, you know, right. and. So I I look at it as there are some silver linings and it's figuring out how to how to manage it and and how to balance it with those strategies. The the, the last thing that I, I wanted to to talk about here is one of the biggest challenges I have is uh the transition between mm-hmm. work time and personal time. Yes. So if I'm ending work at five, five thirty-six and transitioning to personal time, that transition for me is leaving the room and my lovely kids, um, seeing them, which is great, except they don't understand that I've been on screen, like in the room for eight hours and they want to play. It's like, ah, right. daddy's here. We should build a fort, daddy. Let's do that right now. Right. And, right. and I'm like, I just, my head is spinning from work. So, yeah. you know, I find putting in a buffer there and maybe doing a walk. Or even, mm-hmm. you know, just just going outside and, and I have a, a backyard at my house. So yep. standing in my backyard and just just looking at, at the trees and the swirls. Right. I think that's a really important thing that, you know, I think we used to do during the commute um to unwind and then by the time you got home, okay. But um, you know, the the commute now is steps.
1: <laughs> yeah. Similar strategy here. I'll I'll take radar uh, and we'll go for a quick Uh, Sometimes my wife is able to work from home for little bits at a time and we'll, we'll try to, we'll try to get a walk in, something like that. Um, But for the most part, I'm up crazy early, uh, already working the second I wake up, pour that first cup of coffee and boom, I'm on deck. Uh, And that I think is the biggest change for me from, from the, from the before times. It used to be that I would wake up, have my coffee, chill out with the family, get in a car, drive, go to work, start my day. And now it's like the moment from bed to on keyboard is like 30 seconds. And I'm just active the moment I get up. And so I've found that it's the evenings that are the real challenge. Because if I'm going to start, and I, I started like this morning, I started at 420. And so for me, it's that evening piece that I have to most put the conscious effort into to say, okay, there's a boundary. And like, I love your idea of the transitional activity, right? It's, it's uh, just something to declare that is over. Here's the transition. And now this other can begin. And I, I've got to get some sort of routine like that into my into my pattern because I'm just, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm, I'm personally blurring those lines between work and, and, and family in the evenings and not managing this very well at all.
0: Yeah. And I think the other part for me, aside from sort of the, the physical transition or trying to remove myself from a space is sometimes the, the mental transition is difficult because like my kid is like, daddy, like, can you help me with this? And it's like, am I a bad father? Like, (laughs) am I, should I be helping my child? Like my child needs this or that, and like right. you know, I, I I should be there for them. But yeah, I, I'm also like in the middle of a security incident, and right. you know, some some attacker is is trying to get gift cards out of us by some text uh, phishing <laughs> attack. Yeah, and it's like, well, I, I do want to see the awesome drawing that you made and the book that you made in the story, and I look really great there, but. Somebody wants, uh, someone's posing as a CEO
1: and wants everyone to go buy gift cards right now.
0: (laughs) Right, right.
1: (laughs) Kiddo doesn't get that explanation at all. No, no, we don't, we don't want, we don't want a lot of gift cards on the, on the company charge card. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny depending on the role and the, you know, I did incident response for a while during the pandemic and I don't even want to get into that lifestyle, 20 hour days and whatever else was going on. But let's shift gears. Let's get off the, uh, that, that personal side and let's talk about, um, more the productivity side of things. Remote collaboration. Everybody's using Zoom or Teams or Google Meets or whatever, and and the video conferencing is obviously on the table. It's affordable, it's lightweight, it's right there on the computer. What else are you finding is useful, especially with this team that you hired remote to begin with? Like, you got to get some real collusion and and some real collaboration going. What are the uh, strategies you've you've evolved there? The balance is critically important between. Having enough
0: meetings that are productive and useful and not having too many meetings. Mm-hmm. I've thought about it first in the context of one on ones. So my team is 17 people and I've got uh, two directors and then they have uh, four managers that, okay. that, that are with them. So, you know, how do I structure my one on ones and their one on ones and our team meetings in a way that are the most useful for the team? And that we all feel that we're getting the right level of information, but not overburdening. Okay. And, you know, the way that I've done it is I've got one on ones every week with my directors. I've got a meeting with both of them for 30 minutes. And these are all 30 minutes. And then we have a broader manager meeting with the entire management team, which is seven, I believe. And that is once a week for an hour. And that's really like our sync time as a, as a manager team. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we just went through a promotion cycle where some of my managers are junior managers and I've made sure that to help support them, not only with my directors, but with myself, I've done weekly one-on-ones with them. I'm going to do that only for a couple months because it's just not sustainable, but I've been very deliberate in thinking about what's the meeting structure and why, and then encouraging my managers and directors to have the right level of meetings and, and frequency as well so that Yep. We have a manager meeting. Uh, yep. We have an entire team meeting that used to be weekly that we found was too frequent that we've moved to monthly for the the broader 17 team, uh, person team. And then there's, you know, uh, more focused meetings between the sub teams that occur more frequently. So finding that balance has been really critical. Um, and then not just meetings, right. But using Slack whenever we can or email and sort of picking the right medium for the right journey, right. The, um, the tools that we use are mixed. And I've found that um mirror boards are super helpful. I've just been exposed to them within the past six months. And if you're not familiar with mirror boards, it's a great collaboration tool to really sort of diagram and put, put ideas down. We're a Google shop. So Google Workspace, Google Docs, Google Drives, very good for collaboration. And then within our team, we actually have built our own GRC tool in Jira. So oh, wow. we, we've created a number of uh, projects and, uh, you know, mappings where we have a number of different things that are captured in there for us to operate our team. So that allows us, in conjunction with our other tools, to dashboard, to do different things, to provide visibility about, you know, we've got these security questionnaires outstanding or these customer requests. Um, but
1: it's it's still not easy, but it's it's the mix that we're trying to find between all of those things. That's a great little list and I'd love to see a little more about what you've done in Jira there too with GRC. Obviously, I have a vested interest in that space with my day job. Yep. So, we talked a little bit I think about anxiety and stress. I think we've kind of talked about that. But you you had another concept in our earlier conversation that you called layering back in the human. And I wanted to have you elaborate a little bit on that. What's that one about?
0: Yeah, it's great. You know, I've I've thought about it in the context of where we've been and where we're going. And mm-hmm. Where we've been was early in my journey where it's like the first six months and everyone was trying to replicate what we used to do in person online. So there was Zoom meetups, right? Right. I was trying to do Zoom team events and we did a bunch. We did a we did a talent show where it was called Creative Arts Talent Show. And I said, you know what? I don't want to talk about security. I don't want you know, I I don't want to have another virtual happy hour where we're drinking in front of a screen. Like, you know. So we did a talent show. And we had poetry, we had music. Uh, I did a yoga class. <laughs> right on. Uh, so, it, you know, it, was, it worked at the time, but I don't want to do that again. I want to figure out how to layer back in the humans. You know, I want to I do it in a way that, you know, people are comfortable. Everyone has different sort of comfort levels, especially with the Delta variant and figuring out strategies for, for getting us in person. So, um, you know, we've done uh, team events. Mm-hmm. um within the past three months and uh, you know, did a did an outdoor event um with the team and I've deliberately made sure that I've allocated budget to do other things that would be in person with the team in, in sort okay. of a social aspect.
1: So start, um, starting to bring that back into the fold. Starting to bring back in. And then the
0: office situation for our particular company, as people are comfortable or as there's a, a need to, for them to come in, we've starting to get back at that in small groups, right? And I've encouraged that. I think it's important and I would love to get to a place 3 or 6 months from now where you know you're uh you need to be in in the office at least one day a week. There's two team days right. and you know let's get everyone in at least one day a week or two days a week and and sort of build some structure around the hybrid model because mm-hmm. I think our structure right now if you're if you're remote and you do have an office that's close by is well, I'm just at home and it's easier to be at home than to be in the office. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I think for people that do have office spaces, building some structure to layer back in the humans, I think is, is what I'm envisioning as a next step.
1: I like that. I like that. So yeah, I, I won't be able to do that myself. I'm a uh, DFW CISO working for a uh, Minneapolis headquartered company. I am, I am in the office, the, the home <laughs> office, the room. I will be there for a long, long time. Okay, this has been a great conversation about all this stuff, and I I wanted to switch gears. I got one last question for you. This is a question I ask every guest. Brian Castagna, CISO at Seven Bridges, what surprises you the most in cybersecurity?
0: Hmm. So, you know, I've been thinking about what really surprises me in cybersecurity, and it's got to be the vendor emails, the security vendor emails. I mean, I mean, wow, how has this evolved? And you know, uh, you know i've I've been a security director or senior director for say, the past ten years. I've been a CISO for the past two and a half, and it you know, generally, yeah, the email volume has increased as my titles mm-hmm. increase, but now it's like twenty a day, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I mean, the tactics they're ever changing. It's like I'm getting short video messages, like with my name on a whiteboard, right? I'm getting like urgent headers, like, hurry deals. Expiring was one I got today. Right. And we're already overwhelmed in security. I mean, it's already a challenge in our jobs and our roles, right? We've, we've been working to normalize these functions over the past 10, 15 years. And, you know, I just, I find it amazing that there's still that many security tech companies and that many of them are doing email blast marketing. I mean, is it just us? I mean, could you imagine, like, is the CFO getting someone with like a a whiteboard message where it's like, "Hey, Cindy, like, you know, I can improve your gross margin by ten percent. Like, <laughs> you just you right? just need this new technology. Like,
1: sign up for this new software. Sign yeah. up for this new software. Call now. Like, or or is it just yeah. us? Is it is it just us? You know, that's a really good question. I haven't asked before. I've, I'm I've been so inundated with it. But I will say this: when I became CISO slash CTO, the amount of unasked for vendor connections on LinkedIn that I used to get that were all security vendors is now complemented by an equal number of offshoring, nearshoring, outsourcing, full stack developers, like anybody and everybody that can offer me development services or individuals who who do it on a contractual basis, whatever it might be. I now have as many of those connections coming in on LinkedIn as I do the security vendor connections. So yep. switching from the C-set or the CTO hat, it seems that I'm getting just as inundated just by a different group of the overall community, right? A different subset. So I think it might be all of us. (laughs) I think it's bigger than CISOs. Everyone's, everyone's, I just,
0: I thought I was special. You know, I felt very special when I got that, that whiteboard message to me and the the
1: personalized video. It's just you. I've gotten those as well. All right. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.